there's a lot of, I think, really interesting concepts that I've learned in, in, in grad school and some planning that have been circling on my mind for years. And I was fortunate enough to eventually land a job here in Franklinton where I got to actually you know, use that information and try to do things with Jim Sweeney became executive director of the Franklinton Development Association Community Development Corporation in 2002. While in that role for 14 years, Jim led the effort to revitalize Franklinton through creation of over 150 affordable housing units, various community building activities, including founding the Franklinton Arts District and aggressive neighborhood advocacies on all levels. Jim moved Franklinton, AKA the Bottoms, to the center of the discussion about Central Ohio development. He built consensus around the revitalization of East Franklinton as an arts destination, an initiative which gained support of City Hall and now has begun the path to reality. All right, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is my friend Jim Sweeney. Jim, thanks for taking some time to join me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's quite an honor to, to join you on this, Brett. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about having the conversation. Obviously, you know, we've known each other a long time now, and I've been uh, a big admirer of your work and you, and also um, super grateful of kind of how that's been impactful for me and, you know, what we're doing in Franklinton. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I'll get to know you on a deeper level and our audience will too. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really um, a pleasure to be able to have the conversation with you. Same here. I'm looking forward to it. Good. So um, why don't we uh, do what we do on this podcast and start at the beginning and have people learn a little bit um, about Jim as a kid and your family dynamics and where you're from and all that kind of fun stuff that maybe you know will inform uh, who you are and what you're up to today uh, a little bit at least. Well, yeah, okay. So I was born in Long Island, New York, a town called Franklin Square. Ironically enough, I suppose. Um, my family's from <laughs> Brooklyn. And um, so I'm the fifth of five kids. And my father uh, worked for the Borden Company. I don't know if you would old enough to remember when yeah, sure. Borden moved to Ohio. I mean, I was really yeah. I don't remember at all. But Borden used to be, you know, the Borden Building downtown uh, is yeah. still there. I don't know if it's called that anymore. But um, mm-hmm. see, they built a building on the skyline, moved uh, hundreds of families. I'm not sure how many. I think like 500 families from New York, Brooklyn mostly, uh, to Ohio. I think it was five when we did that. And so my parents, you know, like the entire family was back, back East, back in New York. And um, so I grew up here in an interesting, <laughs> now that, you know, in, in hindsight and knowing what I know sort of about communities now, what I, I would call it essentially somewhat of an immigrant uh, community, <laughs> you know, from like from the East Coast, a, a fairly dense place like Brooklyn, New York, to uh, the suburbs on the East side of Columbus. So I grew up in, um, a neighborhood called Yorkshire, um, between Livingston and Main Street, just off No Bigs. Actually, a really pretty part of the city. I didn't appreciate mm-hmm. that at all at the time, not enough, but I do now. So, kind of grew up in the suburbs of Ohio with a family of all New Yorkers. I had a New York, Brooklyn accent, Long Island accent, as five year old. So, 
tortured on the playground by the other kids. They used to get me to say mother of water, Florida, all these things. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I lived a suburban life out there. You know, when we moved out here, uh, 270 wasn't done. So I remember it's in the neighborhood right out there by New Bixby, very close to 270. And there was big sections I remember weren't completed yet. So it was very, very much a growing spurt for Columbus at the time. And, you know, just for reference, you know, No Bixby is basically midway between Whitehall and Redditt. So still mm-hmm. Columbus proper, Columbus City Schools, all that, but um, on the Far East side. And so the, the the dynamic in the house was it was it was an interesting sort of fish out of water kind of feeling in that, you know, like I said, it's kind of an immigrant population. So a lot of the families that moved with Borden Company to Columbus settled in the same places as immigrants would mm-hmm. do support each other in a new place. A lot went to Westerville and a lot went to the near or the far east side, I guess you would call it. Um, and so my, and they all stuck together. I just remember growing up in a house with a lot of other families around that are also from New York. <laughs> so it was like, every, and they talked about New York constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. They, my mom and dad would have dinner parties and they'd play New York, New York, and they'd all kick, you know, kick line in the living room and get drunk and, and, uh, and, and, and just have a good time. And, um, but it was all, all New Yorkers everywhere. And, you know, obviously there were time that, 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 you know, changes. I grew up and started making my own friends, most of whom were from Ohio and other places. Um, but, you know, all our vacations, like twice a year, you know, the rest of the family was back there. We'd go back. And, mm-hmm. um, so I knew two places like suburban Columbus and like super dense Brooklyn, New York. I mean, yeah. my grandmother, we'd go to her place all the time. And it was right on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge. I can't remember the name of the neighborhood. Right there. I went back yeah. a few years ago and went back to her old apartment where we actually we lived in the same building before, Long Island. Um, and it's right there, man. I mean, it's right in the middle, like the super turned to New York. And the Brooklyn Bridge is like right around the corner. I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of the park that's there. It's an amazing park with all the steps. But um, so those are the two worlds I grew up in. And um, it, it, it was a kind of a surprise to me when I went to college at uh, OU, what a small town America is like, because I had never really yeah. experienced that. Yeah, let me hop in there for a second and, and kind of back up to this uh, idea of being, you know, kind of an Im- immigrant of sorts. Mm-hmm. I actually, I've never really heard it described that way, but it makes total sense. You know, it's like... Um, you know, there's different parts of the country that are, you know, very specific. Um, you know, the Midwest, you know, a lot kind of can blend together, but even then there's some differentiators between maybe, you know, Pittsburgh and Detroit and Indianapolis, Cleveland, right? Um, but but uh, New York is one of those places, you know, Texas is one of those places, um, you know, maybe there's other parts of the South that are Appalachia, very, yeah. like Appalachia, the mountains. Which comes right, to a Franklin right. point too. But go ahead. Well, and yeah, and, and and we can circle around to that. But you know, the the thing that I'm kind of intrigued by is what was it really like, you know, to kind of um identify or be surrounded by, like really be in this kind of even like I'm just thinking when I went to college, like the the New York kids, like they stuck together, they hung together, they thought New York was the greatest place in the world. They talked about New York yeah. all the time. Like there's something there. And I'm just kind of curious, like, well, what was it like to be from that, around that, part of that, but not there in Columbus instead? <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, it was um, it was a little frustrating, to be honest. I would get frustrated with my parents. To, you know, constantly talking about New York. I, I mean, I remember being uh, asking them several times, "Well, why did you leave if nothing in Ohio is good enough?" I mean, I remember. You know, it's a long time ago. You know, obviously, but uh, I remember like arguments over things like pizza and bagels. And hospitals, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. well, like you can't really argue with pizza and bagels. I mean, New York just <laughs> wins. I mean, that's not even an argument, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I would say on pizza and bagels, Columbus has caught up on pizza for sure. That's not a problem anymore. Bagels are still, still a gray yeah. area, it's still kind of hard to yeah. find a yeah. good bagel in, in Columbus. It's it's true. I uh, blocks is good, but. Mm, it's, it's different. Yeah. You know, people have yeah, been less having yeah. a different under or different bagel appetite, I guess, or different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, they just don't. Very few places where you can find a good bagel. I'd say. Yeah. But yeah, yeah pizza caught up. But yeah, they would they would they would get frustrating after a while, and, and you know it's got a kind of a boring to go back. You know, vacation the same place. Other friends were going to Disney World and California, whatever. We would go back to visit. I mean, that's what you do. I, I you know you go and visit family. And, you know, my mom, my mom had five kids. My dad traveled a lot for work. And my mom raised, well, I wasn't there in the Brooklyn part yet, but basically raised four kids in a three-story walk-up in, in mm. Brooklyn. So she needed her extended family. She needed, well, her family, her, her mom, my grandmother, and uh, her, her uncle, and all the cousins. In we don't actually have a very big family. It's, it's kind of weird part, being Irish Catholic and that neighborhood you would think we'd have a big family you kind of don't it was, it's a, so there was the the the, the grandmother and, and my, my my nanny would call her and then Uncle charlie would take care of us and um and then you know to move the whole thing away from them was part of it and so we would constantly go back see nanny uncle charlie mike and my, and my father's family in the very queens in new jersey and there was just this back and forth all the time so it kind mm-hmm. of like i said it kind of put me in a weird space i think when i got to you know when i became an adult and realized there's more to the world than super dense brooklyn and super suburban yeah Columbus. well tell me more about kind of you know what you were into you know in in grade school or high school kind of like what kind of a person were you what kind of a kid were you what you know what kind <laughs> of i don't know trouble did you get into tell me a little bit more about jim at that age you know, I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> Pretty lucky I've got through some of it, actually. I, I like to hang out with the, the funny kids. You know, I would always be pushing the envelope. I feel bad for my teachers. I think they secretly like secretly liked me, but I would always, I would never not crack a joke if I thought somebody would laugh in class. And so I did that all the time. <laughs> Lots of trouble. And, and um, you know, didn't really take school super seriously. Um, I actually think I might be dyslexic. Announced to the world on your podcast, I think. I mean, today I'll look at a sign uh, and it'll take me a second. I'll read some other completely different word that's not on the sign or like start connecting the letters in the second word with the letters in the first word to make a completely different word. I mean, just talking about like a street sign, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't, I mean, I was good enough in school. I, I had made fifth grades, but I was not great. Um, some things I was pretty damn good at. My father was an accountant and so took math very seriously. He would do things like, try to get me to memorize Pythagoras theorem, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I never did, obviously, <laughs> but he took that stuff very seriously and, and, and would like to tutor me in all the kids, actually, in not just the family, the neighborhood kids in math. And he mm-hmm. loved him. Great guy, but he was not a good teacher. 
very impatient, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like tutoring lessons with my father. It's very challenging. And it made pretty much, I think, everybody in the family anyway, um, less interested in math than it should have been. Now, you know, having, now as I'm an adult, I see math at every turn, you know, especially when you're talking like looking at development proposals and development proposals. It's all math. If you can't like work math, uh, you don't have a good, you can't see numbers. You're going to be behind everybody. And I, and so I struggled with that and still struggle with it. Excel is a great tool. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've kind of learned to, to, to do what I'm good at. And math isn't mm-hmm. necessarily one of them. And I, I tie it back to that. Um, but I was a pretty good student. My friends were smart, but we're all just smart asses too. You know, we would be the kids that would like, um, you know, smoke on the, uh, you know, at lunchtime. <laughs> Some reason that seemed like, you know, we had a super rebellious streak. Um, many of those kids, actually, most of the kids I grew up with were doing quite well. Um, mm-hmm. Somehow we got through it. Um, mm-hmm. But we just, I was not really a serious student. This is what I'm However, yeah. I did make yeah. it all the way through graduate school. So I'm through that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's, um, I don't know, maybe different times where learning is, um, you know, more appealing than than others, you know, and I was never a very good student either and didn't feel very connected to academics, you know, in, in you know, at all, really. Um, I didn't really become a learner until I was an adult um, out, out of college, really. And um, and so I get that. And, and I'm also kind of just you know, curious about just like, you know, the rebellious crew and the, you know, the, the pit smoking or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of shit you guys are getting into. I mean, I, I, and then I don't mean like, you know, tell me all the, the crazy stories. I'm more interested in like that as like a, a part of who you are, you know, like that, you know, still to this day, I mean, you know, that's, that's, um, in a in a in a different way, you know, kind of part of who you are. I mean, me too. Like, there's something about kind of not conforming or doing things the way that you're supposed to, or somebody's telling you to. That I think we both kind of you know get excited by. Um, and I'm just kind of curious to maybe hear a little bit more about you know that part of you that maybe started to emerge at that time in your life. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. <clears throat> yeah, and I think I did get more serious and, and curious as I got older um, and, and, and remained so. But yeah, I, I, I feel like my, my personality, uh, I've never really been a joiner of things. <laughs> and I always felt like better on the outside and, and doing things the way I wanted to do them. I mean, I played sports as a kid and I liked it. I wasn't particularly good at it. Some things I was good at, but... Um, I liked playing on teams and, and competition and stuff. That was enjoyable. But like other things, I, so I grew up Catholic, right? I went to a Catholic school, uh, Holy Spirit on the east side, and which are partly after that. And um, like early on, I, I remember, you know, my friends were doing things like doing, really, uh, volunteering as crossing guards, you know, and or altar boys. <laughs> you know? I was the only one that would just kind of didn't want to do that. I found that stuff to be kind of, I don't know, kind of lame. I mean, I always felt like I was a little older than I am <laughs> I, because, you know, fifth of five kids. Um, and I came pretty late after the, my older sister, Jennifer, a couple of years older than me. That's why I just got to text you guys. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of grew up a little fast, I think. And mm-hmm. so I didn't really want to join up with what I thought would be silly kid stuff. 
you know, growing up, um, the big TV show for people my age was uh, like Dukes of Hazard and things like that. And I always felt that was kind of, I guess, sophomore <laughs> stupid. I watched All in the Family. You know what I mean? I kind of like adopted the, I hate to say maturity level, but I try to adopt maturity level of my old siblings. And so, you know, when I went, when like people in my class wanted me to be an altar boy, I thought that was stupid. Um, you know, <laughs> join the safety patrol, that seems stupid. And it just kind of mm-hmm. goes forward from there. I just, like I said, mm-hmm. like you, it sounds, you know, just never really felt like I wanted to be constrained by any kind of uh, group. Just didn't feel like, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and that continues mm-hmm. to this day. I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, I haven't had a real job since I left FDA in 2016, and I'm somehow mm-hmm. you know, surviving and, and thriving in some ways. But I'm not sure I could ever go back to like the old nine to five job. It'd have to be something really interesting, really attractive. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, tell me, just kind of, you know, one more question on this kind of part, like. Um, what were you into? Like, you know, I get the academics were, you know, fine, but not really your thing. And that yeah. there's this kind of, you know, non-conforming, rebellious kind of free thinking way of being. Um, you know, were there any kind of hobbies or passions or interests or jobs that started to kind of catch your attention at that age? Um, we would build things, um, like literally build things. First, it was bicycles. Then it was like, like tree forts and then it was fort forts like big we um i i grew up like i said off of no bigsby road and i don't know if you know that area at all but um it's right i on did the, uh, my grandparents used to live on no bigsby yeah oh no kid okay yeah well yeah, yeah. so yeah. um you know the big walnut creek flows right adjacent to no bigsby and there's a major mm-hmm. floodplain area down there and so the yorkshire swimming pool used to be down there. i don't know if it i mean it's been gone for several years unfortunately it was mm-hmm. great um but there's a lot of like wooded area back there and we would go and just yeah. play in that wooded area and it was it could have been the forest you know it could have been like miles deep to us we had no idea i mean it was huge to us and we would go back there as i got older we'd play all kinds of games and i like you know we played sports and all that stuff but you know after we got a little older we started um stealing wood <laughs> lumber and building stuff we well, we, we didn't know we were stealing it. We found it in people's yards. <laughs> so we would build like a fort. I remember we dug down in the floodplain posts and built about like a two-decker wooden structure. And we would hang out in there and have playboys in there. And every now and then we'd get beer or weed and go in there and drink <laughs> beer and smoke weed. And it was just like I grew up a little fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so partying was part of it, you know, growing up. Um, actually, I kind of mm-hmm. stopped doing that when I got to college. Most people mm-hmm. like discover like we never, never drugs. We didn't do drugs. Um, we were afraid of that. Um, but we smoked a lot of pot back in the day. And um, when I got to, by the time I got to college, I wasn't really interested in that anymore. And everybody else just started, yeah. you know. Still not really interested in that. But um, that's kind of we did a lot of that. But mostly we would build stuff, and then you know the police would make us tear it down. <laughs> <laughs> cops that was my first first trip in a police car was actually um some property owner who uh owned all the wood that we used we thought we found on their property we didn't understand what that property I mean, they had it was on the, so you know bigsby has that big drop off down in the floodplain right you mm-hmm. might remember that yeah. i don't know what subject yeah. but you what yeah. people own now i get it they own property all the way back probably to the creek i suppose yeah yeah and um they would pile all this lumber back there to us it looked abandoned 
So we took it all and built stuff with it. And the <laughs> owner, <laughs> the owner uh-huh. caught us and uh, called the police. And I took a ride in the police car. And I, you know, I still didn't really understand what the hell was going on. You know, we yeah. yelled at and threatened with arrest. I thought we just found a bunch of wood due to the hand in the books. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I've always yeah. liked Yeah, all right. Yeah, so cool. Um, and, and you know, you go off to college, you know, you say Athens, you went to OU? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, how was that? You know, tell me, you know, what that was like. Because now you're getting this kind of uh, a whole nother sense of community and being in college and being in Athens. Yeah, you know, uh, it was one of those things. You ever have like a waking dream where you know you're dreaming and you can like enjoy it? I remember mm-hmm. thinking about that when I was at OU, even like freshman year. I'm like, I have to like appreciate this, but this is so great. And I've got mm-hmm. to savor every, and I did. I savored every minute I was there. Sometimes I'll get together with my friends that I went to school with, even people I didn't go to school with, but also went to, to OU in Athens. And, you know, somebody will, 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 you know, we'll start, you know, talking about how great it was to be there, with, with the, just how it felt to be there at that time. Mm-hmm. Somebody will always say, well, I will always say, if I could change, you know, Anything in my life, you know, if I could go back and do anything different, that's the one part I wouldn't do different. <laughs> you know, mm. I would definitely do that again. I mean, there's, yeah. like, I mean, if I tried harder in high school or maybe applied more, I could have gotten in a better college and had a better life trajectory or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, even knowing that now, I don't think I would do it differently. It was that great. It, mm-hmm. was, just, mm-hmm. it was just a nice place, you know, nice people. Mm-hmm. The scale was great. And this goes in. in and this gets into like my appreciation of the, the built environment, the physical environment. I understood two places existed in the world, uh, the suburban lifestyle on each side of Columbus and the super dense Brooklyn lifestyle. And um, I got to Athens. I'm like, wow, this is like, I can walk all the way across the thing and it's dense. You know, there's like, mm-hmm. old buildings that people are still using, um, but it's also small enough that, I don't have to be afraid because remember we were going back to Brooklyn mm-hmm. seven. So it was like, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a completely, it's a, it's a whole different world. And I'm sure you probably talked to a lot of people that went to, you'd probably say similar things. It's a, it's a nice mm-hmm. little cocoon an hour and a half away from your parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Far enough that they mm-hmm. can't get at you. You know, they're not going to show up. But close right. enough you can run home and, you know, when you need to get your laundry done. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. I made a lot of great friends. I still have so many of them. Learned a lot of interesting stuff. You know, I, I didn't apply myself like I should, should have. I partied a lot more than I should have. But the you know, memories and relationships are just, you know, uh, amazing, irreplaceable. Uh, yeah, Athens is a great place. You know, it actually occurred to me mm-hmm. not that long ago. I've always never really considered what I'll do when I retire, which I guess someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but it occurs to me, you know what? Maybe I, I never thought I would be one to live in the country necessarily. But I have had a lot of friends over the years who bought little places down in Athens County. And, you know, close yeah. enough you can get to the city, you can get to the city of Athens or Columbus. Um, but still out in, 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 in there's a serenity to that that I never did appreciate before. As I get older, I'm starting to appreciate a little bit. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a possibility. Tell, tell, me, tell me a little bit more about kind of, um, you said you went on to graduate school. Um, and I don't know if you went directly from undergrad to graduate school or what happens in between. But um, aside from having this kind of like, you know, special time in life um, and, you know, all that, you know, can be college and college in a town like Athens, you know, it is, it's pretty, it's pretty special um, for most people that that are in that environment. 
but but what else was kind of like emerging in that time of your life, you know, with your friends or with your studies or kind of, you know, any interest or do you start to kind of think about, you know, your career, you know, at all? Tell me a little bit, like, where's your energy for, at that time in your life? Yeah, I think I was, I'm one of these people that, that, that didn't grow up, I think, until I was almost 30 years old. <laughs> I mean, you know, they say you're not at a, Say you're not an adult until both your parents are dead. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we have a different sort of view of what adulthood is nowadays. And I, I say that to say, even coming out of college, I was still pretty much a kid. I didn't know how I wanted yeah. to do it. I mean, I, um, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do in college. I started as an English major. So I like reading that kind of place highly. I would say my reading uh, placed me in, a, I, I placed out of a lot of different classes. But they had a, uh, I'm also, uh, you know, have been a very lazy uh, academic in that I don't study hard. Uh, uh, at least I didn't back then. And so they had an English re- or a uh, language requirement at OU in the uh, liberal arts program, which English is in, obviously. And uh, so I couldn't do that. I couldn't learn three years of Spanish or anything. And so I got out of it. I dropped English for that reason. And uh, they have an excellent television uh, production program down there, television, film, video production program now. So I took that because I've always been interested in film. Still am. Watched the Oscars the other night. And so I got into TV production at OU because they have such a great program there that's well known. And I um, figured I could at very least get a job in that when I got out of college. And I did. I landed right off the rip at Channel 6. So I was a production assistant at Channel 6 and did that for, I guess, three years or so. So I was a TV guy. My first job out of my first life out of college was in uh, TV and film production. And I did a lot of different jobs all over. I could never really pin down. I've always, I've always had, I think what landed me in city planning eventually and, and in a, a job like the one I had at um, Franklin Development Association, my, my natural tendency to want to do everything and not spend a lot of time focusing on one thing that would you know, generally turn into a job that would pay well or something that most mm-hmm. people do. And I did that in TV. I was a shooter. I was an editor. I got into producing. I was good at lighting, you know, and audio and, and all these things, you know, but, but never was I the best at any of them. So I couldn't really make a career out of it. I mean, I did. I faked it for many years. And then I, I realized I didn't want to be the 50-year-old guy on the set, you know, dragging cables, complaining about his back. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that that sort of business fluctuates with the economy. I'm sure people out there know about all. There's a lot of people in that business now because video is such an important part of everything. But um, at the time, I was like, you know what? I kind of wanted to be more thoughtful about my work unless less of it's a craftsperson. I wouldn't call, you know, video video production where all the work is kind of art I would call it craft and I didn't really want to be a craftsperson I wanted to think I wanted to, to be make my living with what I thought my dad taught me one thing years ago you might like this I forget exactly how I put it he said don't let them pay you for what you do don't even let them pay you for what you know let them pay you for what you think so your opinions and ideas are the way to make it in this world if you can get to that point. So that was in the back of my mind. And I was like, wanted to pivot. I always intended to go to grad school and assumed that undergrad back then, and maybe some more now, I don't know, um, was kind of like high school degree <laughs> and adapt mm-hmm. act an advanced degree. You should probably go back and get another one. <laughs> I don't know. That mm-hmm. might just probably put that in my head. But, um, but so I had always been in the back of my mind that someday I would go back to school and take it seriously. You know, pick something when the time was right, when I felt like I knew what I actually wanted to do when I was more an adult. 
and then take that very seriously, which is what I did. Mm -hmm. I did TV mm -hmm. for four or five years. And so at age 27 or 28, I <laughs> signed up for, yeah, I was the old guy that I'm always the old guy. Mm -hmm. I'm always like behind everybody. But um, yeah, so I went to uh, grad school at Ohio State for city planning, master's degree in city planning. They had a great program and they had a great deal where uh, we got tuition, we got to get our tuition waived if we got a job and they got you the job and you got paid. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's hard to argue with that. And it was right here. Um, so and what, what was it about the city planning that, you know, kind of really got you to want to be serious about that? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I was kind of getting to this a little earlier when um, my awareness of the world consisted of two kinds of environments, suburbs and hence, you know, New York City. Um, because one of my last jobs where I quit the TV business kind of officially, I guess, I still do it, but uh, uh, was driving around. It was funny. I had a job. I've had a lot of funny jobs. Uh, <laughs> I was an ice cream truck um, uh, repo man for a while. That, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but uh, this last job that I'm going to okay. tell you about is I would say um, I, I was doing video production for a small company that owned the rights to cable, like cable systems. This was like the late 90s, mid 90s. And like the small cities, I don't know how it works now, but this, the big cities all like had Time Warner or whatever, but in between all the small towns or medium-sized cities in Ohio had like this like other company that provided them cable. Anyway, so my company specialized or owned those or that company. We were that company, and we would actually do the production of the local TV spots. So I would go around on a trip to Northwest Ohio to small towns and shoot in a day, usually three or four. 30 second TV commercials. <laughs> and then I take mm -hmm. it all back to Columbus and then voice it myself, edit it overnight, and it would be on the air like the next day. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of like a running gun kind of thing. But, but what it did to me was it exposed me to a lot of different environments that I hadn't really known existed. Maybe I didn't pay attention before, but like Athens, in smaller towns. I'm talking about like, I don't know, I can't, I can't even think one at the moment. But, um, but they had very similar characteristics, and that is an interesting downtown with a courthouse, a lot of dense commercial. It reminded me of Brooklyn in a way because there were dense mm -hmm. buildings that were functional, that were working. Mm -hmm. um, but these were not functional. These, and of course, what I'm describing is the post Walmart small town America, where the you know the the commercial area is kind of hollowed out, and it just mm -hmm. doesn't work. It's beautiful. I mean, the old architecture is amazing. I didn't see that. I mean, I saw some mm -hmm. in New York, but everything's in New York. You know? I mean. But in Columbus, right. I grew up on the east side, I didn't have that. And so I go to these like amazing, like um, it's a wonderful life, what's that Bedford Falls kind of towns. All that mm -hmm. shit's still there and it still looks great, but it's fucking empty. You know what I mean? There's nothing yeah. there. Right. And it made me scratch my head. And I saw it over and over and over. And that really got me thinking, which, you know, got me super interested in migration patterns, development patterns, economic activity in the center cities. And why wasn't this shit working? It was gorgeous. The parks, everything was great, but it wasn't working. So that took me down there. That experience of driving around Northwest Ohio, Eastern Indiana, seeing these things is what got me on this path to, going, to turning, you know, doing 180 from TV production into city life. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I, I, I also was a city planning um, major at Ohio State. Oh. Um, I, I know yeah, I started off, I went to Arizona for two and a half years and I was in what was called regional development there. Um, you know, back, I was in school in the 90s and 
um, you know, we actually, there was no real estate program at Ohio State when I was there. And it wasn't a major at least. And um, everybody kind of called things different. I don't know how it is today. I think it's probably like all real estate or, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's even a city planning major anymore, but um, it might, my, my, my actually, uh, Degree fell. The city planning for me at the time fell in the geography department. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, I have a little taste of that experience, and um, I'm just curious, like how your studies did start to kind of shape you. I mean, you you found something you were passionate about, and you were learning. You know, tell me a little bit about kind of how that then kind of shapes you to go forward. Well, you know, the class I liked a lot. And somehow I was able to, this is kind of embarrassing, I guess. I was able to take it twice. <laughs> Got credit for it both times, I think. That was uh, Jack Nasser's class, Psychology of Space. So I've always had an interest in psychology as well, and sociology, and sort of how people function and what makes people decide what they want to do. So this class was about wayfinding, basically, how we like mm. decide where to go, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it took me straight, you know, into sort of like, it's it's the it's the thing that that has been on my mind the most when I think about Franklin. Town. It always has, mm-hmm. you know. In wayfinding, there's what five different characteristics of wayfinding. I think there's there's paths, right? Uh, the old cow path, you know, or, or, or Broad Street path, you know. Uh, there's there's nodes, you know. We've got the a few things that are similar to each other that attracts and, and, and create their own identity. There's districts, which is kind of like nodes. I can't remember the difference exactly. Uh, but edges are another important one. And this is where it comes to Franklinson. My interest in this neighborhood, when I really took a look at it, is about the edges that make it up and mm-hmm. what happens to a person when they cross an edge psychologically and what decisions they make as a result. Um, like if you like, and it's, it's an evolving place now, and I know you know a lot about what I'm talking about. Um, but it's an evolving situation. If you consider five years ago, before gravity, before a lot of stuff, six years, 10 years ago, if you're at Broaden High, right, center of downtown Columbus, center of Ohio, and you're going to travel to Tommy's Diner, have a delicious breakfast at Tommy's, um, and you travel down Broad Street, one straight shot, boom, home, downhill even, how many edges you cross from A to B? You cross, well, first of all, you're leaving downtown, you cross a freeway, one boom, major edge, obviously. You cross through what, until very recently, was a pretty vast, desolate space behind Coastside there. And then you cross under two elevated railroad tracks. So there's at least two edges there. Then you cross through East Franklin's and notice that everything needs to 315, which felt pretty desolate 10 years ago. It doesn't feel so much now, obviously, thanks to you and others. But um, the, um, and you cross 315. You're still not to Tommy's yet. And you still have one more, what I consider to be edge to cross. And that is the area until recently dominated by Mount Carmel West Hospital, like a basically a block and a half of institutional uses. And, um, and then you arrive at Tommy's. What if you cross like five edges along the way? In your mind, a person's, I can't remember what exactly happens, but there's literature and there's theory on this. You know, what happens to a person? But sort of how does it affect their decision every time they make they cross an edge? You know, the other side of the tracks kind of thing. You've crossed five, the equivalent of five railroad tracks before you've gotten to Thomas, which is what a mile and a half from, from Broadenheim. And so that mm-hmm. I think that that's the, a thing I studied at, at Ohio State that really has stuck with me. And of course, we learned a lot of housing policy and transportation planning. And even when I got in there, I didn't really know, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I thought I wanted to be a transportation planner. 
because wow. cool, cool modeling, you know, and I still think a lot about the modeling that they, they teach you, the, um, the bid rent model, for instance. Are you familiar with bid rent model? Basically, so, yeah. So, the, yeah, so you got your, for, for the audience, you have a central business district is the center of your city, and the presumption is all the rents are highest at the central business district, and as it goes out, the rents get lower, the transportation cost goes up, so there's a curve there. And that's, you know, you look at, again, perfectly applicable to Franklinton. You know, people are like, we want the rents to be super low all the time. And I get that. You work on that for sure. But you need to understand, you know, the rent model says your rent is you're right next to downtown. Broad High is right there. And so there's a lot of, I think, really interesting concepts that I've learned in, in, in grad school and city planning that have been circling on my mind for years. And I was fortunate enough to eventually land a job here in Franklinton where I got to actually you know, use that information and try to do things. Yeah, you really did. And I want to talk about Franklinton with you and that job and, you know, kind of what you did. Um, but it's pretty unique, actually, when, when I think about it, as I'm just kind of sitting here listening to you tell the story and thinking about, you know, my own academics, um, you know, I actually started out an architecture major and, you know, then got to, um, you know, the part of architecture where I realized I was going to be responsible for buildings standing up forever and, <laughs> and not getting, you know, sued, um, you know, like physics. And I was like, ooh, yeah. uh, physics, <laughs> you know, um, what happened to design and history. But um, anyway, uh, you know, what I think about is like a lot of people that kind of go into that academic path, especially like at the master's level. The, the the opportunities from there, um, there's there's a lot of opportunities, but not often, um, or or maybe they're just kind of you know few and far between. Do you get a chance to actually really design and build and plan a neighborhood, you know, and and one that's like not uh, in the middle of nowhere, you know, like, 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 you know, I think it's funny because, you know, you know, with, with, you know, floodplain and, you know, all all the, all the history and the issues of Franklinton, but like, uh, and, and even honestly, still to this day, I'll have people say to me, like, really over there, you know, I mean, are people really going to go? I mean, what's really happening over there? And, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's a little less today because there's a lot happening, you know, and it's pretty, it's pretty. It's starting to become pretty obvious if it's not already. But um, like this, this piece of land is is otherwise like what you would consider to be like unbelievable real estate, yeah, <laughs> right. but just sitting there empty and and right. And so you get a chance to really be at the front of creating something. Um, you know, it's pretty cool. And yeah. and that's what you do. So you know, maybe talk a little bit about it. Sure. You know, I can we could talk for days like about this, Brett. I uh, I would like to, um, but um, there's a there's a component to this thing that that's really interesting to me, and that the, you know the, the na- neighborhood is the floodplain. You couldn't develop anything, so it froze in time. Basically, then a flood wall appears, and you can develop now. Boom. Now, not like that didn't happen exactly, but into that period, um, you know. During that frozen period, if you will, and it wasn't just the flooding, it's also the perception of the neighborhood as the bottoms and a terrifying place and the poverty. And it's like the general west side or the near west side, people don't want. Um, so that froze it in a way, too. But you know what? The, the cool thing about being frozen for so long is we got to be able to witness what was going on in other places. We got to learn from other, uh, uh, other developments occurring in other neighborhoods what's a good idea and what's not good. 
good idea. You know, so we got to, so I went to, when I went to, to grad school in the late nineties, you know what we talked about? We talked about suburban sprawl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the last time you heard somebody bring up suburban sprawl. I heard the word gentrification one time in grad school, one time mm-hmm. towards the end. And um, so, you know, we were trying to get people to move back to the city. And, um, you know, here in Franklinton, we got to witness other neighborhoods that had gone through other changes and how they were done um, in a less than thoughtful way sometimes, meaning uh, people were excluded, gentrification, the negative parts of gentrification were real, and people were basically priced out in whole communities. I mean, it's been going on forever. Um, But we got to learn from that and and build into our philosophy and our logic and ultimately our plan, literal plans, that there should be a a mix of of housing types and and housing affordabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think, in my opinion, and I'm ready to have this argument with anybody, that we have achieved that in a great way, uh, thanks Mm -hmm. to a lot of creativity on behalf of the developers and the city and the neighborhood for that. I mean, I was a big part of that and I worked for the neighborhood as Community Development Corporation. So my board of directors cared about making Franklinton a nicer place, but also a very inclusive place. And mm-hmm. inclusive of people of all income levels. And not just while we're building is affordable housing, we also wanted a neighborhood that had people of upper incomes here. Because we believed in mm-hmm. diversity and heterogeneous mm-hmm. community, not just like as far as race goes or age goes or, or all the other factors, but also income. You need people mm-hmm. in all income to, to, to living together. And I think we're and this is not something that's that, that, that's old information. We've learned this as a, as a culture over the last mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years that zoning, you know, separating everybody with zoning is not necessarily going to be good for everybody, which is not good for it. Meaning, yeah. you know, our society will suffer if we start stratifying ourselves like that. So we had those yeah. lessons in our mind before we started really working. Yeah. 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 Oh, God, couldn't agree more. And, um, yeah, I, I think there's always going to be criticism and there's um, rightly so always a concern about affordability and gentrification. And, you know, I think um, thinking about things holistically, you know, I personally, you know, um, love and this kind of is also a little bit of my like preference in design. But, you know, I, I like things that are eclectic. I like things that have a little bit of everything. I think we can all coexist and live together and learn from each other and support each other. And it's important that it's not all mm-hmm. one thing, but, but let's, let's um, talk, go back a little bit. Cause I've kind of heard Coleman talk about this and, you know, I've heard stories and you and I've talked about it, you know, when, when, when at the beginning, at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, um, there's a vision. And and the vision includes, you know, this this not just kind of affordability and you know um, something for everybody, but it includes art and creativity and um, you know a number of other things. And and, and I know there was like uh, a meeting maybe or a pitch, you know, where you know you, you kind of get to the mayor's office and 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 I'm and I'd love to just kind of hear you know, why that vision, where that vision comes from, who, who is a part of creating that vision? Because, you know, by the time I get to Franklinton, um, that vision, I, I, it was still very early, you know, it wasn't buildings everywhere, but the, some of the people were there and some yeah. of the things were there. And so it was like clear, like, oh, this is hap- This is interesting. Like I, this is, for me, it was like, you know, I've said publicly, it was like walking into my high school art room and like the energy of it was just like, oh, 
yeah, this is where I want to be. These are the people I want to be with. And so talk to me about the beginning of all of that. Yeah. Uh, so I do a tour of Franklinton, by the way, <laughs> for the Columbus Food Adventure. Yeah, Food I know Adventure. you do. Yeah, that's right. My friends, Andy and Bethia on the Columbus Food Adventure and asked me to do so. Uh, I'll tell you what I told people on the tour. Uh, I'll, I'll make it way more brief than I do. I took the tour last three and a half hours. And um, <laughs> I won't take that much time. <laughs> the, uh, so I, I talked about like the first, like when I was super green and didn't really know Franklinton, um, my, I, my great board of directors, I said you know, many of the names, I call them the Mount Rushmore of Franklinton, you know, Carol Stewart, Helen Evans, Pauline Edwards, you know, Bruce Warner, Larry Dender, and um, you know, somebody else. But, um, you know, this was my board of directors and people from the neighborhood. And we had very serious uh, strategic planning sessions early on. And, you know, we decided we wanted to do a, a couple things. Uh, we wanted to create better affordi- better housing options for those who live in the neighborhood. People generally stay in the same neighborhood. Frankly, the houses are in terrible shape and functionally obsolete and so old. And lead, asbestos, oftentimes mold, many of underwater twice in their boxes. It's needed everything and nobody would do it because you know, the economy down here is so bad, real estate value is so low. Um, so yeah, we focus on that. We'll build where we can, we'll, we'll get grants, we'll improve the houses, we'll build new houses and create our own comps, we'll narrow the gap between development cost and the values. And um, I mean, it's purposely, and I always find this out before, I'm like purposely we did that. We pushed the property values up on purpose because a house that is worthless is gonna fall down around your ears and there's nothing, there's no equity to pull out to fix the roof or the front porch. But then Larry got up and said something I thought was really impressive. And said, but we need higher income people to move to this neighborhood. Another thing that would be called gentrification today, he said, we need diversity of our income. If we were going to get a grocery store, or a coffee shop, or any apparel, anything that a normal neighborhood service you would want to be able to walk to to get, other than the corner storage, which would horribly run, um, we need higher income people. We need other people to want to live here. And so then it became, you know, obviously you, you, you go down that whole affordable housing track. We did. We were successful eventually. Um, but they, then the other side is how do you get upper income people who have, or just regular income people, to choose to move to the neighborhood of last resort, to the bottoms, the worst reputation in the world? Well, you change the reputation. <laughs> you rebrand it. You begin, like, you basically been describing it as a nice place, which it is. Um, in many ways. And it had challenges, especially back then. We had the, you know, Riverside Bradley, which was a big problem, which was the public housing project here in the neighborhood that was kind of the end of the line of the, the local public housing system, um, which is another big discussion in the tour. And I'll have to go back to that if you want. But um, yeah, so, so we decided, you know, we want to change the brand. We did a lot of goofy, cool things. I think we did a um, tour of homes in Franklinton, you know, and, and you know, we included on there like houses that we had recently gutted that we were going to start rehabbing. So people got to see that. And it was like, you know, it was a cagey thing. United Way paid for the buses and we bring people down, we, a couple of buses, loads of people and see the houses in the bottoms and people thought that was crazy. We had a, a restaurant week, the uh, Board of Trade did a restaurant week, even though we only had four restaurants, we couldn't even do a whole week, but we did it anyway. One of my favorite quotes in any press we got back in the day was something like, without apology or explanation, Franklin now has a restaurant. <laughs> 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 that's Hutzpah, yeah. man. That's just like going out and guerrilla marketing, you know? So that's, we did a lot of that. And, you know, the, the art idea that came a lot from Chris Sherman, you know, Chris uh, has a lot of like really good art pedigree. 
Yeah, you wouldn't know it. It's a rough uh, exterior, right? But if you talk to Art Chris about it, you'll find he knows a lot about art, cares a lot about it. And um, and I'm not sure where in the area it came first, the Frankleton Arts District discussions or Lance showing up. Now, Lance is a major, major part of that, too. Lance, I mean, I, I, you know this, Brett, but I'll say for the audience that, um, you know, I met Lance kind of on my second week on the job. So 2002, I get a call from the city. And in my tour, I say it like this. I don't remember exactly how it But get down here. There's a crazy guy from L.A. trying to buy half the neighborhood. Half your neighborhood, uh-huh. what they said. And Lance is not a crazy guy, of course. He is from L.A. But um, And so we, uh, I went down and talked to Lance. And Lance, you know, I learned a lot from Lance. I think you might have learned a thing or two from Lance. I'm certain he, hopefully he's learned some stuff from you, too. And um, he said, you know, artists love old buildings. If you can make them safe, that is to say, a working sprinkler system, then they will come and they will use the space. And, and this is the key. If you don't spend too much money, you can keep it within their price range. Meaning if you put on a new roof, you might have to raise the rent, and then, you know, then they can't afford it. And so I learned a lot of stuff from Lance in that way. So Lance wanted to do art stuff somewhere in there. I connected Lance to Sherm and, you know, they hit it off. And, and, and pretty soon Lance had Sherm in the building making art spaces and they just filled up. Lance told Sherm and I, and you can ask Chris this. I mean, I don't want to get at it. I don't think I was there for this, but I think he said, build 10, and when they're full, get a waiting list of 10 more, then build 10 more, and they just keep doing it that way, and then that way they pulled up 400 what's rich. And with other yeah. stuff, but so yeah, I gotta give Lance credit for the art, and then it clicked in our mind, we're like, well, if Lance will allow us to use buildings, we can do all kinds of stuff, and then Sherman and I, and a whole handful of people, you know, started Franklin's narcissistic, then we just start talking about it like it's narcissistic. I mean, apparently, and I, I make this joke all the time, like, you can conjure any like nonprofit to say all of a sudden you're a nonprofit and then eventually you do the paperwork. But we said we were a nonprofit before we did any paperwork. People were treating us as such. And um, yeah, putting us in the, in, you know, Columbus Underground was really coming up at the time. Um, the internet, for the internet, right? The internet was starting to catch on like everywhere. And um, so we used that. And, and um, that in that way, my secret mission See, it wasn't a secret, but my mission was to do my job as the CDC director and begin changing the brand of Franklinton. And my sort of logic was to do it in a way that would create not only an exciting place that people would want to go to and invest in, but we could build it in such a way that it could be more permanent than other arts communities were able to be. Meaning mm-hmm. the trajectory of like, you know, how it goes, short and north people buy in, it changes its yeah. character. So I was hoping that we could find a way to short circuit that process. And that's what got me in front of the mayor and mm. got it right away. And people have been yeah. getting it ever since. Well, and there, you know, you kind of glossed over Franklinton Arts District, but, you know, that was a big deal. Certainly Idea Foundry, Independence Day, Urban Scrawl. I mean, a lot starts to really come um, out of just saying that you're something, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, Lance, you know, filling up the building too and like new sections opening up and, you know, it was a little bit like, you know, duct tape together, you know, piece by piece, but it was like really happening. And like a lot of things were coming from this and yeah. you, you start to get, you know, a lot of momentum. And, and I know this has, you know, been, um, you know, not an overnight success, but, uh, you know, th- once you get the ball rolling, a lot really starts to happen fairly fast and, and pretty, uh, substantial. I mean, I, I don't think the peninsula happens if it isn't for what you're doing. I don't think certainly I, I've, you know, publicly acknowledged gravity would never be a thing if it weren't for 
the things that I was seeing there, the festivals, the artists, the events, you know, um, and, you know, the brewery, like there, there was like a lot of seeds being planted that just kind of sprouted, um, you know, fairly fast. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And, um, yeah, you're right. And, and, you know, the, it's, it's, it's been a long run and, and, you know, I always tell people it's not the, it's not the destination, it's the journey, you know, we're on Franklinton time, you know, things are going to happen when they're going to happen. Enjoy it. You know, and, and you know, people tend to, I always, I always deal with this people. I think people, and this goes back to the psychology and space stuff, you know, people tend to think that the place is exactly right when they, the day they got there. <laughs> you talk to somebody like you went to OU like I did. And they're like, oh, I don't like it now. They changed this and that. And I'm like, well, they changed that after I got there. So it's fine. Or well, before I got there, I like it how. And so, yeah, yeah it's Franklinton. That's a good point, actually. I, I've i never heard that before, but it actually is a very good point. Well, yeah. And people do that down here. They're like, it was better, it was better when there was nobody around. It was better than. Yeah, they do that with the cities. Ah, you know, it used to be better back, back in the day. You were complaining about everything. Now you wish you had it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just we got to keep in mind that 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 living cities. Unfortunately, Columbus is a living city. Uh, will will grow and evolve. It's an organism. You know, it's going to change. It's going to adapt. Hopefully, you know, uh, it won't change and adapt so quickly that that it's inhumane or or, or destructive. Uh, but I think you know, it's for Franklinton's case, you know, when I got here, you know, it was um, you know, Buyer Chevrolet had twenty acres with a eight foot high barbed wire and a razor wire fence around right in the middle of the neighborhood, right in the middle of the neighborhood. And I don't know who thinks that's a great thing to have right in the middle of the residential neighborhood. I mean, even like a mixed neighborhood. And so I had actually got a lot of grief because I suggested that maybe they should move on to a more appropriate place for a car dealership. And um, people are like, well, you're just trying to change it. Like, yeah, I think, you know, that, that, that some things do need to evolve. And, and, you know, and, and by the way, most of that land, I know, I know, Brett, you know this, but most of that land is still taking place. I mean, we are very early on on this thing. This is a, this is what's so exciting to me. This is what, this is one of the things I also say on my tours. Is this is an evolution that's occurring here, and it's happening slowly. And you can be part of it. You can be. We can hopefully. I mean, that was the intended. The intention was that everybody can play a role. Is that we can find some a way for every a way for everybody to not only work in it but benefit from and i've got other projects in mind now i'll be telling you over time i think um that that i think will 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 be could be a path towards uh, making sure that stays that way but um, yeah let's talk a little bit about that kind of more kind of current modern day and you can share whatever it is you're willing to but i but i'm kind of curious about this piece that um I'm also really passionate about and trying very hard to do my um, part in. Um, although, you know, there's people that will will say I'm actually part of the problem. Um, but um, not me. You know, uh, yeah, I know, I know, and thank you for that. But I, um, I also am really passionate about this not becoming the next short north um, or um, becoming um, something where artists and creatives and really um, affordability, but just kind of um, diversity of thought, a diversity of, of interest, you know, diversity in, in every way, quality, you know, I mean, I have a, a strong passion for 
the neighborhood of Franklinton becoming something that's kind of all that we would want, you know, to have in a neighborhood and have it stay that way and have it really a model for what is possible. Um, and that, you know, it doesn't have to be full gentrification and full, you know, market rate and whatever, right? You know, brick architecture, or whatever, right? So I, I share that passion, trying hard to do my part. Um, and and yet it's hard. And, um, you know, probably going to get harder as, you know, landowners see values and incentives go away and, you know, whatever else happens. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you're up to and or kind of how you think things are going now and what the future, you know, looks like, you know, opportunities, challenges, et cetera, for Franklinton. Um. I'll get back to what I'm up to in a minute. I'll talk about how I think things are going. I'm, I'm actually very optimistic and, and pleased, really, and proud to have been part of this. Um, there are a lot of players here. I just I just had coffee this morning with um, my friend Jeff Mormon, who used to work for me at FDA. I don't know if you probably know Jeff. Um, he's with Finance Fund, um, Ohio mm-hmm. Development Finance Fund. Yeah. I actually just called Finance Fund. Um, and we were talking about projects and kind of doing some memory, you know, walk down memory lane. And, you know, it, they are doing great work. Jeff and, and Finance Fund is an example. They're doing development. I'm sure you've probably run across them. Um, and they're doing really good. The, the affordable housing industry, which I was a part of for so long and still mm-hmm. kind of feel like part of, is, I think, cranking out more and, create, and more creative projects all the time. I think the low-income housing tax credit program um, is, is more flexible than it used to be. I think um, the uh, the state, the Ohio Housing Finance Agency, is doing great work in in, in 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 being more inventive and innovative on how they're applying these programs. I and you know, and I can point to Franklinton as a good example. I mean, not too many people are tracking what's gone on here since the flood wall was complete. But I actually I keep I keep track. <laughs> um, I'm looking at it right now, and I can start running down the names of all the projects. Uh, including the the mostly market rate buildings that have some affordable units, I added all up, and um, you know things I've worked on, things I didn't touch, things that other people have done, things are done by CMHA, uh, Columbus Housing Network, um, uh, NRP, home, other people have done stuff, and all in all, my total right now, and this is not including the things that are build, being built now or planned or being proposed now, um, is a unit total of something like thousand. Units, and that's not even beds. I calculate beds at like 2,100 beds. beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an, a neighborhood, consider this, a neighborhood of housing stock when I got here uh, of about 4,000 units, right? Mm-hmm. And so what are we looking at? 27% of the neighborhood is already subsidized affordable? That's pretty amazing. That's kind of a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you think about it, yeah. that's good. I'm not saying stop by any means because certainly more than 20% of the neighborhood is below the poverty line or needs, you know, better housing options. That's a pretty damn good start. Add in those projects that are being built right now. I know you've seen them around and, and they're great. Yeah. So I'm pretty pleased that the, you know, the seriousness with which and the focus that the local affordable housing and, and statewide affordable housing industry has, has put on making Franklinton more diverse for housing options. And there are more coming. So that, that, that really makes me happy. Um, as far as what I'm doing now, <laughs> I'm, uh, so I, one of the things that came out of the, uh, Mayor Coleman's, uh, uh, meeting, you know, uh, involvement in, in Franklinton is leadership in Franklinton was a new plan. 
um, East Franklin Creative Community Plan, which, by the way, won the best economic development plan at the American Planning Association and the Urban Land Institute. Not only many people know that. They, they like took both like best actor and best picture or whatever, best, best director. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah, in the same year. It was, and yeah. you know, people around here apparently are not watching that because I don't remember anybody talking about it, but that happened. Right. It's, it's a good plan. You know, it's old now. It's 10 years old. I mean, but, but it holds up. Anyway, so part of the plan was to split. Just, and it was just East Franklin. Not all of Franklin. They did, the plan was to do two, one for each, one each side of 315. And so this one was about the creative community and how this part of the neighborhood, which is, in, which is different in character than, than the other side of the freeway, in that with all the old warehouses and the mass, you know, vacant land. Um, actually got in trouble once for standing at the corner of like Mill and State saying, look, there's nothing here. And somebody okay. interpreted that as, look, there's nobody living in Franklin Tent. <laughs> like, no, right, right. it's out of context. I mean, at that, so East Franklinton has a lot of vacant land, a lot of opportunity to change it without displacing anybody. Nobody lives yeah. in an empty field, right? So you can do stuff there that's not going to displace the person. But, um, but anyway, so we took all the eastern part of the neighborhood and um, split it into three sections. So, you know, there's the Broad Street uh, section, the um, uh, Dodge Park, and then the Arts and Creative, Arts and Innovation District. So my house happens to be my house on Walnut Street, which is just a little, it, everybody thinks it's an alley. It's the street between Town and Ridge um, that dead ends in the Lucas at 400 and Gift Street at Pilot Bellarts. That's Walnut Street. It's a neat little narrow street with little houses on it. Is part of the arts and innovation district, so that allows the plan recommends and the, and the plan was implemented and codified into the zoning code. So now it's permitted to change the use of those houses to a variety of things, including bars and restaurants. So my house on Walnut Street is now in the process. I actually have to send an application today to the East Franklin Review Board to finish the process to be um, converted to a bar. And so my my hope is that other, my neighbors, and I've talked to my neighbors about it. I only have about a handful of neighbors who's a lot of vacant houses. And uh, the, the neighbors and the owners of the houses are in. They, they think that's a cool idea. Might as well. It's a way to save the old houses. Otherwise, they're likely to just be demoed for disassemble the land. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a museum. It's, a, it's, a, it's the last collection of old school houses that wasn't wiped out by the flood or the car and floods or the car dealership. They came after that, you know, so it's important relic for this city. It's one of the oldest streets in town. And so if we can find a way to, to, to save it in a way that, that doesn't cost the owners, um, you know, their, their value, why not try it? So that's what I'm trying to do is yeah. to maybe just follow suit on that. Yeah. You know, I, I had mentioned um, uh, the, the, the idea of seeds and um, there's a, there's a, guy named John Marsh. I don't know if you've come across him at all. He's the land planner in Alabama. And um, he talks a lot about kind of the seeds that, you know, when you're building a neighborhood, a town, that you've got to really plant seeds. And I'm kind of um, growing more and more intrigued um, by this idea and, and not just kind of concepts, but people um, being, you know, seeds mm-hmm. and, and really um, being quite powerful. And, and usually quite um, underutilized or underappreciated or um, not seen or heard for any number of reasons. Uh, and I think, you know, when I think about your home and Walnut Street and, you know, what you've shared with me about your vision for it, um, 
I mean, I don't, it's not even like an opinion, you know, as we both know, we've seen this happen in other cities and mm -hmm. Austin and other places. I mean, I, I've been making this pitch to, you know, the powers that be in economic development. Um, you know, you look at Wynwood and you look at, um, you know, uh, crushed walls in Denver and you look around the, the world at the role that art and street art um, plays in economic development, right. you know, that, 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 you know, um, what we used to do might not be the way forward. And that um, today seeds like, like street art murals, um, you know, artists in general, creatives, placemakers, makers, um, and music, you know, and, and entertainment, fun, you know, how big of a, of a seed is just like a place to have fun. You know, I mean, yeah. Don't people come here now from all over the um, state uh, to go do their bachelor parties or whatever they're doing in the short north, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, without an entertainment district, you're not going to attract people. And without a creative arts district, you're going to be missing out on people. And I just actually had Bruce Garfield on um, the podcast and, you know, without music, you're going to miss out. And so, you know, Jim, I think that... Um, I guess what I'm kind of driving at is one, and, and I don't know how much you've kind of public, publicly talked about Walnut Street. Um, one, I, I think it's brilliant. And it's, um, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, figure out how to make it happen. And I want to um, be a part of that. And, and, and I want other people to join in too, because um, I think it's really about, you know, kind of a communal effort. Um, on on something like this, you know, that it isn't just a little kind of like for profit business. This is like a, a a big deal, and and you know, and the, the other reason why I know it's a big deal is because um, this is not your first rodeo. <laughs> you you've you've made big deals out of a lot of things, and you're <laughs> humble, and and you're not gonna um, say it, but like I, I just want to underscore like what you did with the Idea Foundry was a huge deal. What you did to start the art district, big deal to have the festivals, to listen to Lance, to, you know, see the brilliance in Sherman. I mean, this is not small stuff. <laughs> I mean, I actually think when it's all said and done, I really believe this, that when it's all said and done, when you go from, you know, COSI, you know, and it is, I don't know how far west we go, but I mean, it's certainly, you know, um, you know, west of Mount Carmel, um, you know, th this is like, you know, fast forward, and I don't know how far it is, and it seems to be coming faster than I expected. Um, this is like Columbus. Like this is like, you know, the, this is like the most dense and, and most kind of exceptional part of the city. And, you know, you, you are a, a big part of that seed. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of share all that, make sure everybody else um, has a chance to hear it and, and, you know, see that, you know, for themselves. Cause I know you're not running around telling people. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's a, I, I appreciate the kind of words and, uh, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's an ongoing thing. You know, at what point do you declare victory? <laughs> it's, it, we just continue to build, you know, let's just yeah. build something cool and, and make it cooler and better and more inclusive and, and, and get people, you know, everybody an opportunity to play a role. You know, I, uh, had a drink last night, a friend of mine at Rehab Tavern, right? We're on the patio. And I, I guess I should, I won't use any names, but a, uh, a, a, a pillar of the idea was there. I won't say it too. Um, 
and then a pillar of 400 West Rich were there, and they were discussing a project, uh, a woodworking project that, uh, uh, that was being commissioned or might be commissioned by one of the newer businesses in the area. And it was just, a, it was exactly what, you know, that, that moment of like, you know, two creative people coming together, two of the anchors that we helped create here at the, the, the watering hole in between, it could have been a coffee shop, you know, but it was evening. So it was a watering hole and, and to, to build something new, something creative, something art, uh, artful, artistic uh, that will live here in the neighborhood and be paid to do it. Important. And that, you know, that's, that I think needs to be, and I, and I'm now I'm preaching the choir, um, but we really need to be very, very uh, uh, cognizant, focused on making sure everybody is being paid for their intellectual property, their art, their creativity. Too often, I know you know this, too often musicians and artists are asked to, to contribute something for free, <laughs> for exposure. Yeah, right? yeah it's, I think we, we, we do this properly, Brett. We've got this, this, this engine here in, in, in Franklin Tim that we were building still that can, can, can rectify a lot of wrongs in society, can be aware and not increase a lot of the wrongs in society. And, 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 and part of that is making sure that, you know, the, 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 the sort of the founders of this place, not the founders, but the, the first ones into the creative community are, 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 are benefiting financially that we all have an economic gain as well as a yeah. community and, and creative gain. And, and, and there are ways to do that. And I, I, oh, I, think, yeah. I think tourism's a, a big one. I want to talk to you a bit more about this later. Um, okay. That you know, I do. Like I said, I do the tour of Franklinton, and people love it, and I really yeah. love it. I, yeah. I don't think they're lying when they say this just blew my mind. I mean, this was not yeah. what I expected. They expect like a, a drink here and a you know a sample of food there, but what I give them is the full on like discussion we're having, like three and a half oh. hours A to B. And they learn it and they're just like, wow, this is something. Yeah. And I think that there's something there. I think there's roots there. I think people would like to spend more time immersed yeah. in this environment. Consider what we got here. Just from yeah, the activity well, side. Everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, just, I, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. I mean, I know you you know that and 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 happy to kind of dive in more, you know, we get together and talk tourism and, and Walnut Street and um, yeah, I love this idea of, you know, making sure people are getting paid too. In fact, you know, in, in, in a number of things that we're working on, um, where we're bringing technology in to kind of, um, you know, really, I think, solve some problems, you know, um, like, for example, you know, and we will we'll have to talk about this, like, we're going to do all these QR codes on all of the um, pieces of art where people can come and, and oh. scan and then listen to the artists talk about huh. what's happening. Like yeah. that could be, um, you know, a part of the whole tour, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and then we're also going to, you know, NFT everything so that, you know, the mural does, the artist doesn't just get paid once for their mural. Like, you know, that, 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 you know, is going to be a, an opportunity for them to be paid over and over again. Oh, um, that's so, cool. Never heard of yeah, that. there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, and, um, and anyway, we'll catch up on it. But I think philosophically, you know, you and I are are both um, in the same place where it's, you know, like, you know, cool, look how much has happened, and, you know, it doesn't really matter if it gets all screwed up, and and you know, we lose sight of what we're trying to do here, and and really, you know, kind of as I start to wrap up, you know, what I'm. But I'm kind of um, struck by when I, you know, think about your your journey, which is really the whole point of this podcast is to kind of like 
see how these dots connect. And I don't know if this is just me psychoanalyzing or not, but like, you know, it feels like to me there was always this kind of um, part of you that, you know, is a little bit, you know, nonconformist, a little bit, you know, rebellious, a little bit more maybe, okay. you know, curious. And, and, and also, you know, the part about, you know, New York and, and Ohio and, you know, just kind of experiencing different cities and different, you know, kind of ways of being and, and finding yourself in the work and to ultimately leading you to um, what I think is like just super important, which is like, you know, the saying, you know, be the change or be a part of the change you want to see in the world. I mean, you created the neighborhood that you literally live in and want to live in, you know? I mean, you, you're, surra- you, you're, you're at Rehab Tavern with these guys talking about these things because you created that, you know? And, and, you know and I, yeah, and, and, you know, and, and that's possible, you know? And I think people hopefully will hear that, you know, that like, hey, you know, go create, you know, you don't like something, uh, you know, get off the message board and go out and do something. Get off the sidelines and participate. I, I, yeah. It makes me crazy. People complain constantly. The message board is, and you know what? Join the area commission. You know, go sit yeah. through some meetings, talk to people. Get involved, right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and, and, and also like, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing you were talking about artists getting paid, you know, what I, I'm also like super excited about is not just paying people, but like partnering with them. You know, it's like you're actually brilliant and we could do something cool together. You know, I think that's, that's gotta be a big part of this environment too. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Give me some final thoughts. We're going to wrap up here, but kind of tell me, you know, as we start to land anything that you want to make sure you get out there. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the kind of words, Brett. And I and I and I have trouble taking credit for things because I know, you know, there's a lot of people working on this stuff together. And um, you know, many who were here before me, you know, I've stood on the shoulders of giants, as I said, the Mount Rushmore people, they're the ones who got the flood wall built. They're the ones who who made sure and CMHA did a proper job in replacing the public housing that they took. Um, you know, so I it's important that that the, the folks that I mentioned um are remembered. Most of them are gone now. Many of them are gone. Um, actually, we're doing a, a something to watch for. Um, so this is the twenty fifth, two hundred twenty fifth anniversary of Franklin Ten. I don't know if everybody knows about that, and we're doing a few things this year um, to commemorate that, to celebrate that. We recorded uh, over the weekend and on Friday, we recorded our first uh, our first video podcast, and so Trent Smith is the host, and he's got. Um, uh, uh, a couple different people. We're doing four different segments of just history, and then we're going to come back and do other things. So maybe you're going to appear on my podcast. Uh, oh, forward. I'd love to. I'd love to. I love that. That's great. But yeah, so I'll just tell everybody to watch for that. I started, <laughs> I put on my, my my old video hat, put it back on, mm-hmm. and now I'm editing uh, these, like what is an hour long video. Um, I guess this is too. But um, and so those we'll put out in the world, we'll figure out how to get them out in the world here. Uh, in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I look forward to, you know, going forward. I, I like, I, I love, you know, the design principles you're putting in place. I, walked, I drove through uh, Gravity 2 uh, a couple hours ago and it's amazing. You know, it's really coming together. I can see the pieces and you've been very good and kind about, you know, uh, you know allowing those of us in the neighborhood to be part of the discussion. I was at your first, um, your first design charrette uh, for Gravity which I think you scrapped and started over again after. We uh, did, yeah. We fired yeah. the architect and started all over. 
Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. You got what you want. And, um, and, uh, and we got to be part of it. And it's, and that's, that's a big part of, of, of a community is, is allowing people to, to participate in, in some of the decisions and, um, and just like working together. And I look forward to continue to do that with. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. It's really been fun to, uh, know you and, you know, um, admire what you've done and, 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 collaborate with you. And uh, I think there's a lot more for us to do together. So um, yeah, I look forward to it. And thank you for taking the time to do this and be happy to come on your show. <laughs> I'm excited to be a, a listener and, uh, and and a participant. So uh, thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. And I'll bring my uh, my guitar over sometime and we'll all like, have a contest, see which of us is worse. Oh um, no! I, that's, I don't even think it's a contest. <laughs> can you can you do a, a, an F minor? Because that's the top. Yeah, one. yeah, no, 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 no. I, I'm like a, I'm like a. You know, I actually, it's funny. I was listening to this um, Lou Reed uh, uh, live in L.A. Sweet Jane, mm-hmm. and he uh, he starts to pluck, you know, the first you know three chords, and he pauses and he says. You want to know how to make a career out of playing three chords? <laughs> I thought, okay, you know, I got a chance. You know, GCD. I don't know, maybe I can, I, I can uh, make it in this world. <laughs> you know, all the best songs are three chords. Three chords and yeah. three minutes in a cloud of dust. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jim. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk Thanks soon. Thanks a lot, Bye bye. All right. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 